Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Check the guys out live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. It is Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max on ESPN Radio, ESPN2, Sirius XM Channel 80, and your smart speakers. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max is presented by Progressive Insurance, and all guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. You're probably sitting there saying to yourself, that's not Max, and you are correct. Field Yates and 10-year NFL wide receiver Harry Douglas sitting in for the guys this morning, and Harry, you just heard a couple of different cuts about the great, legendary John Madden, as we talked about at the beginning of the show. Legendary might not be nearly enough to encapsulate what John Madden meant to the game of football. Icon, status on Mount Rushmore, you name it, there's probably enough, not enough words to quantify the impact that John Madden had on the NFL. When you think of John Madden, what do you think of first? I think of a national treasure. I think of a guy who, um, like he mentions on numerous of occasions, never worked a day in his life because he loved what he did. He brought the X's and O's to football. He 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 made the game of football uh, be a, be able to be understood to to common people. He he allowed the game of football um, to be shared from his voice and his knowledge to everyone else around the world. And I, when I said national, I should say worldwide mm. because everybody worldwide knows who John Madden is. You talk about the video game. I think he's up there uh, with Michael Jordan, the Jordan brand, when it comes to off-the-field things of that nature. And then his loving spirit, the way he coached guys, the characters he had to deal with, right? You can have a bunch of guys on a, on a football team or any team who are great, but if you don't know how to deal with the personalities – the team probably won't be great, but he knew how to deal with the personalities. He knew how to put the uh, the coaching staff together. He knew how to put the pieces together to make things work. And you think about Al Davis and you think about John Madden, you think about the Raiders. My father is a Raiders fan. So th- those are two people that I know my father loves very dearly, uh, Al Davis and John Madden. You talk about that torch. You talk about that flame. Uh, Mark Davis uh, shared shared a piece yesterday when it came to that within that organization. But John Madden, man, you listen to his voice, it's distinctive. Um, you know when he's talking. You listen when he talks. But he just he, he is football. Um, he always will be football. And he's not going to go away anytime soon, Phil. So there are so many different tentacles to John Madden's legacy. And I think we could hone in on each of them and have a three-hour show on just those. But oh, the yeah. broadcasting one is one that I think is so particularly fascinating And there were a couple of things that were brought to light in a piece that Ryan Hawkinsmith did on ESPN.com that has been reposted. It was initially published back in April. How about this, Harry? Just a couple of the influences that John Madden has had on broadcasting. You know how we have the yellow line, the unofficial first down marker? Yep. John Madden was the one who thought of that for Fox. He he was going through and broadcasting a play, or he was diagnosing a play prior to a game, and he were they were doing some meetings beforehand, and he was drawing a bunch of different things up, and at some point he just drew the first down line to illustrate, like, this is where they have to get to. And he thought to himself, why don't we always have this line available for fans? Because think about how much it changes your viewing experience as yep. a fan, knowing exactly how far a wide receiver has to run his route past or how far a running back has to reach his arm out to to get that first down and when a quarterback has to sneak, how close he is to converting that third or fourth and short. All of these things are a byproduct of John Madden's mind. And now, Harry, 
there's something called a production meeting, kind of take people behind the curtain here for a second, where broadcasters have the chance to speak with usually the head coach, oftentimes the quarterback, or another star player or two before the game, and also have the opportunity to go to practice for a day for each of the teams, or at least the home team, of the game that they are about to broadcast on. And that is because of John Madden, who was talking about during his early broadcasting careers to his producers, when do I speak to the coach? And they said, speak to the coach? What do you mean? He said, <laughs> I got to speak to the coach. We've got, we got a big game. I want to talk to this coach and learn something about his team or his approach to football or his, you know, his, his strategy, you name it. And that's the genesis of it, is that John Madden brought to life elements of broadcasting that people had not previously realized. And as a broadcaster, Harry, he was one of a kind. He could talk about football. He could break down a turducken. You name it, he could talk about it. He was a trailblazer. Well, you say trailblazer. I'll say a trendsetter as well. Um, and right, you, you, when, you, when you throw out the word legacy, right, you think about John Madden's legacy as a coach, as a broadcaster, um, as a guy who has a video game name after him. And it's a hell of a legacy. It's a, it's a hell of a legacy, man, from a guy who, who devoted his time and his knowledge to so many people to understand a simple game of football. Or I won't say a simple game. He made the game seem simple which the way, with the way he broke it down. But you talk about the production meetings. John Madden. You just spoke about the first down line. John Madden. So many things around the game of football, says John Madden. So that's why I say, Phil, even though he's gone, he will never be forgotten, and he always be, always will be implemented in this game that we call football. Uh, Chris Berman, a legend in his own right, had some interesting and great thoughts about John Madden, one of which wanted you to hear. Just to see the Hall of Fame players, coaches up on the stage react when John got up to speak and when he spoke, those images will stay with me for a long time. What they thought, the best of the best. Hearing Chris Berman speak about John Madden, I'm sure he could do probably an entire show himself on what John Madden meant to this game. Uh, he certainly has just done so much or did so much during his 85 years on this earth. And I think everybody has a memory or a thought on the legacy of John Madden. And let's go out to the Dr. Pepper call-in line to get some of your thoughts. When we go to Dave in College Park, Dave, what's your lasting memory of John Madden? Uh, well, a few things here. So, number one, um, just the fact that he was like a pioneer. He was the first kind of uh, commentator to talk like a real person. He wasn't all business. He was casual. He would bring some enjoyment to it some silliness, if you will. He never took himself serious. And so he would explain things, but in a colorful way where it was fun. You could feel that he was enjoying himself, not uptight. And uh, so it's so many things that just, uh, I mean, I grew up, you know, just every Christmas wanting to get that Madden game, seeing he was going to be on the cover and just, you know, just things that he just was so a part of. And uh, I really hope the NFL does something for him, like maybe put patches on jerseys, and I'm sure they have a moment of silence this weekend, but the players really need to realize how much he has affected them financially in the game, advanced it for his some of his thoughts and 
technologies and all that stuff. Um, and also, I, I have a fear of flying just like he did, so I can certainly understand why he would take the buses and stuff like that. Uh, I just really enjoyed him for his career. I grew up, I'm 50 years old, so I grew up when he was broadcasting the Cowboys games, him and Pat Summerall. It was just really amazing, and uh, it's a shame, but uh, really appreciate his accomplishments there. Yeah, Dave, great thoughts there, and you're so right about everything that John Madden in really enveloped in his incredible career. And that Madden bus, which became a part of his legacy and lore, some people just think of it as his way of getting around the country without realizing he had his own fear of flying, but it became part of the fabric of John Madden. Let's take one more here. And Jeff in Pennsylvania, what are your thoughts on John Madden's legacy? Uh, first of all, probably one of the greatest coaches in the NFL. Agreed. Uh, I was just a young man when uh, – just a teenager when he coached that Super Bowl team made me fall in love with football. So uh, this is kind of personal for me. But I think, and Harry, you probably can uh, uh, relate to this. Being part of the all-Madden teams, John created the all-Madden teams at the end of the season. And just everybody, I think everybody looked forward to to see who John thought was the best players of the NFL during those times. Yeah, with his with his knowledge about the game and the way he he put his stamp on the game, you better believe everybody wanted his approval or his stamp of of, of of approval. And you talk about fun, man. John Madden did it having fun because Phil, if if you're not having fun doing it, why do it, right? And and he brought that to the game of football. He brought that uh, uh, to the coaching ranks. He brought that to the broadcasting ranks. So having fun and like you said, every player wanted John Madden's stamp of approval. Uh, at some point in their in their career. There's an old saying that if you enjoy what you do and love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. I wonder if John Madden was the first person that really exemplified that because he certainly loved what he did all the way until the end. Uh, unfortunately, the football world was hurt in multiple ways last night. It's not just that we received the news of John Madden's passing but ESPN and ESPN Radio also lost a valuable and beloved team member. And Jeff Dickerson, at the age of 44 years old, Dickerson had been battling colon cancer. He was our NFL Nation Bears reporter. He grew up as a radio man in Chicago. He was incredibly well-known in the city of Chicago for not just his Bears coverage, but contributions to the Chicago media landscape for 20 or so years. Dickerson had been battling colon cancer, as I mentioned, but he also lost his wife back in 2019, Caitlin, to a battle with lymphoma. They are survived by their son, Parker, who's just 11 years old, and now has to live a life without both of his parents. Such an incredibly sad and tragic situation for young Parker. I know it's a tough time right now, but the memory of Jeff Dickerson, a legacy that he leaves behind, is going to help all of us find a way to push forward, Harry. This is a man who's incredibly loved by everybody who had the opportunity to be around him. And during a really, really, really difficult time and a trying year, one thing that I simply could not believe but had nothing to do but respect was how Jeff Dickerson found a way to keep a smile on his face and maintain a positive attitude. That kind of positivity can be a light for a lot of us going forward. Yeah, Phil, and, and I will keep reiterating to, to everyone, even, even if you didn't know Jeff, Man, if you can, reach out to his son some kind of way. Send him an email, send him a note, write him a letter. Do do everything that you can because that young man is going to be going through it, and he's going to need everyone's help 
as he continues his journey that we call life. Losing both parents, that's hard. Um, and I know he, he, he's, a, he, he's a boy, so I know he's close with his father. You see a lot of pictures of Jeff with, uh, with his son uh, in baseball. So shower him with love. Do everything that you can to make sure that he's loved because he's going to miss his parents dearly. There has been a GoFundMe set up for Parker Dickerson, 11 years old, who has sadly lost both of his parents in a span of just two and a half years. We wish him nothing but the very, very best during this incredibly, incredibly trying time. Much more Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max with Field Yates and Harry Douglas coming up next on ESPN Radio and ESPN2. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit... Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric e-bikes today. The number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus, electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome. So you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L E C T R I C ebikes.com. G Sean, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Cincinnati is fourth, the first group of five team to make the playoff, and they'll meet number one Alabama. In the other, it'll be second-ranked Michigan and number three Georgia. Just out of the playoff, Notre Dame is fifth, Ohio State ranked sixth. We are back on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. It is Field Yates and Harry Douglas, 10-year NFL wide receiver, hanging out with you on this beautiful Wednesday morning, and it's time now for us to talk a little college football with a man that really doesn't need any introduction, but we'll give him one anyways. It is Paul Feinbaum. You know him as the host of the Paul Feinbaum Show, and you know him as somebody who is as woven into the fabric of ESPN's college football coverage as anybody. Paul, good morning to you. Good morning, Fields. Uh, Harry, uh, thanks for having me on. Good morning, everybody, and Happy New Year. And happy New Year to you as well. And the good news is, Paul, that we're finally getting close to these college football playoff semifinals. We are just two days away from both Alabama-Cincinnati and also Michigan and Georgia. We know how the college football playoff committee ranked them, but how would you rank these four teams, Paul, if you were to do your own one through four ranking? And this will all make more sense with the follow-up question after it. 
Yeah, Fields, uh, the real issue is who's number one, uh, and I'm not talking about who is really number one, is who is the best team. And, and for most of the season, I thought it was Georgia, but I lost a lot of faith in Georgia in the SEC championship game. Uh, their offense sputtered, and, and the defense, which we all thought was impenetrable, just collapsed. So I, am, I, will, I will agree with the committee in relation to Alabama. Now, Georgia, in my mind, still num- would be number two ahead of Michigan, which I think we, you know, we, we, we fell in love with late in the year because of the, the Ohio State win and the Big Ten championship win. So they would be three. And, and obviously, uh, and predictably, fourth would be Cincinnati. Now, Paul, I got, I got to ask you, when you look at this, this matchup between Georgia and Michigan, I think Michigan personally is one of the most complete teams in college football. What do you think their chances are actually defeating Georgia on Friday? Harry, I think they're reasonable, and it's it's so hard for those of us who live in the South, uh, who who got mired in this Georgia run, to separate ourselves from what we saw because you you just simply can't say you played Alabama and 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 wish and and you you ended up getting shredded. So you know, let, let's just call that a mulligan. You don't get mulligans in, in this sport, and so I I, I hear you. Um, I resisted what I was watching with my own eyes all year with Michigan. They, they look good from the beginning, but again, just like I just I said with Georgia, you're hung up on well, what, when when is it going to collapse? And when they faded against Michigan State late, there a lot of us said, okay, here we go again. But but that was that was a hiccup. Uh, that was an aberration. That wasn't uh, who this Michigan team was. Uh, this Michigan team was exactly who we saw against Ohio State. So I, I hear you. Uh, a lot of my friends like you who, who, who played the game, understand the game, uh, under, believe Michigan is going to win this game. I, I'm, I'm not quite convinced of that, but I, I would not, I would not uh, call out the, uh, the reserves to, to battle you on it either. I, I, think, I think the line's a little out of whack there. Uh, Georgia's a seven, eight point, six, seven-point favorite. I, I think it's going to come down to, to, to one or two plays. I know that sounds cliche, but I think, I think it is a very close game. I do like Georgia, though. Yeah, you're not crazy by saying that, though, Paul, because one of the things that I I don't think a lot of people understand about football games, whether it's at the college level or the national football level, there are about four to six plays that decipher and decide a football game. And if you're on the bad side of that, that means you lost. If you're on the good side of that, that means you won. So I think you are right about that. (laughs) So, Paul, you mentioned that uh, obviously your number four team in your rankings is Cincinnati, which I think most people agree is that that's where they deserve to be slotted, even as the only undefeated team. But strange things can happen in college football. What is the roadmap to Cincinnati pulling off what would be an historic upset on Friday against Alabama? I think they need to watch the Auburn game fields and replicate it as much as humanly possible. And I, and I realize everyone in the country this morning, either watching or listening, may not have seen that game. But that was a game that, that, that Alabama's offense w- was inept the entire game until the final drive. And the reason was that, that Auburn, which was, a, which was a pedestrian team, they finished 6-7. Six and seven. They lost yesterday in the Birmingham Bowl to Houston. Uh, simply put pressure on Bryce Young the entire game. He was running for his life. Alabama's running game, which has not been great, uh, it was a little bit uh, more uh, challenge in that game because of, of an injury to Brian Robinson than, than it will be this weekend. It just simply couldn't get anything going until Bryce Young had that in, insane 12-play drive in the final two minutes of the game when, when Auburn 
uh, simply forgot that uh, they should play reckless, that they were a 6-6 six and six team and, and they had nothing to lose. Uh, that game went into four overtimes. My point being, pressure Bryce Young. Uh, that, that's dangerous, but it's not as dangerous today uh, on Friday that, that, that it has been because John Mechie, who was the number two receiver for Alabama and who started the season number one, and Jamison Williams came on from Ohio State and took that role over, uh, is out of the game. Uh, they are very thin at running back. Another thing that concerns me a little bit is Marone, the offensive line coach, who was out for a couple of days with COVID. Uh, he and, and Bill O'Brien, I know they're back now in, in Dallas, but you know some continuity there, even though there, there's a long layoff of three and a half weeks between games. So I, I think that that's the ticket. Cincinnati's very good defensively. They have a really strong quarterback. Uh, Cincinnati has to play like Auburn did up until the end of that game. Just play reckless. They have nothing to lose. This is this is their moment. I I I, I know Cincinnati realizes that that so many things are resting with them. But the Power Five has been brilliant in the bowl season. Uh, they they've been you know, beating SEC teams. They've been beating ACC teams. Uh, this is not a game to get up tight. This is a, this is a game to go for it. Mr. Paul Feinbaum, I can't agree with you more. When you look at this Alabama football team, you look at a couple games. You said you mentioned the Auburn game. You look at LSU. You look at Texas A&M. And then you look at uh, the Arkansas game. And then you look at the Florida game. The common denominator in all those games is that on third and medium, third and longs, they brought those linebackers up at the line of scrimmage to try to create confusion. And some of the teams, they brought blitzes from depth. Some of the teams, they brought linebackers, uh, the linebackers. Some of the times, they, they bailed the linebackers out just to create that confusion, and they got pressure on Bryce Young. Uh, I was surprised in the SEC championship game that this offensive line of Alabama actually picked up a lot of the blitzes that they did because previously those games I just mentioned, they did not. They were terrible in doing so. And then when you look at Cincinnati offensively, what's been the recipe of beating a Nick Saban defense, right? A dual threat quarterback in tempo. If Cincinnati, uh, this little break that they had, if they can develop that tempo on offense, use Desmond Ritter with his legs, they actually have a chance. But I do feel like uh, I think they're going to hang in this game early. But Alabama's just going to be too strong and take over at some point. Games, of course, are on Friday. Those are the college football playoff semifinals. Paul Feinbaum, you know him. He's Paul Feinbaum, host of the Paul Feinbaum Show, joining us here on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. And, Paul, I know that I can't help myself sometimes, and I put the cart before the horse. Michigan's got one and potentially two very difficult tasks ahead of them. But in a world in which Michigan wins a college football national championship with Jim Harbaugh as the coach this year, would that open the door to Jim Harbaugh going back to the NFL, a place where he had great success and a somewhat inauspicious ending during his time with the 49ers? Fields, you're asking me to do something that uh, I'm not capable of doing, and, and that is get inside Jim Harbaugh's <laughs> mind. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> uh, I've, I've had uh, – w- w- I've had what I think is a fun relationship with him. Uh, he's poked fun at me. I've, I've obviously poked fun at him uh, to, to the nth degree. I, I think he would. Uh, I mean, he would have no more mountains to, to conquer. And, and, I, and I would hope, I, if Jim would mind me giving him a little friendly advice, don't think it's ever going to be, uh, <laughs> this path will be easy again. Right. Uh, I think he could get, you know, with a, with a national championship, I think Jim Harbaugh would be primed for the NFL. I've always felt that he, he, he's better in the NFL. Now, that's say, that, having said that after his best season as a college coach, but a lot of us have forgotten uh, how good he was with the 49ers. Uh, he went to a couple of uh, championship games. He went to the Super Bowl, lost to his brother, of course, when the Ravens won. 
I, I think he's better suited for that game. And it, it would be pretty remarkable. It, it would be a Disney movie if I could go ahead and uh, you know, get the guys in Burbank uh, up early and start working on that. The fact that Jim Harbaugh, who everyone wrote off, no one more than me, uh, wins the national championship and then marches off to the Bears or wherever uh, he decides. Uh, but, but I would not rule it out. Paul, if, if Jim Harbaugh called you right now and said, you know what? Paul, I want to take you out to lunch. Let's go have a good lunch. Would you be surprised? Would you go? And then, last question, who would pick up the bill? Would you pick up the bill, or would would Jim Harbaugh pick up the bill? Yeah, well, it's interesting. As much as we have battled, uh, Harry, two years ago, uh, his brother-in-law called me. I happen to be friendly with him. He's Tom Tom Crean, who's the head Mm -hmm. basketball coach at Georgia. And we started talking years ago. And he said, you, 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 and, you, you and Jim need to settle this. Uh, so he called me in the middle of one of our shows and said, can you get up here next week? I'm at Jim's house. Where, uh, I'm, I'm at his parents' house. And uh, he, he wants you to come up and play in some go- golf tournament with him and bury the hatchet. It just turned out I had something in California that I, I just simply could not get out of. Uh, otherwise, uh, I would have. And we didn't, we didn't pull, I, I wasn't able to get, get up there. Had we done that, I, I think we would be friends today, as crazy as that sounds. So the answer is yes, I would. And, and even though uh, you know, I, I make a small pittance compared to his 5 or $8 million a year, I would dig deep into my wallet and either pay cash or, or crypto. I don't know. I'd figure out a way to pay for the lunch. <laughs> I love it. Paul Feinbaum, a man who is as insightful as he is generous, especially when he has the opportunity to one day dine <laughs> Jim Harbaugh. Thanks so much for joining us here, Paul. Enjoy the games on Friday. Thanks for all that you do. Thanks, guys. What a pleasure. Paul Feinbaum, the great Paul Feinbaum on the Goodyear Hotline. And Paul Feinbaum is brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football bowl season is here and fans are hyped. Crack open an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, slap on a fresh coat of paint, and return to glory with an all-new season of Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Keyshawn J. Will and Max are presented by Progressive Insurance. If your pet passenger is injured in a car accident, get help paying for vet expenses. Pet protection comes free with auto collision coverage. Get a quote at Progressive.com. The NFL lost a legend, and one of the NFL's best storytellers shares his thoughts on John Madden after SportsCenter. Westbrook dribbling down the middle, elects to pull it out, cut to LeBron, slam dunk, and that should do it. LeBron with a huge dunk, 26 points, 11 assists, 9 rebounds. Michael, you think it's over? It's over. LeBron James had a triple-double last night, helping the Lakers snap their five-game skid. You heard that on 710 ESPN LA. James started at center, scored 32 points, had 11 rebounds and 11 assists in the Lakers' 132-123 win over the Rockets. He became the first Lakers starting center with a triple-double since Pau Gasol in 2010. James turns 37 tomorrow, and he became the youngest player to reach 36,000 career points. Meanwhile, Russell Westbrook added a triple-double of his own. Stephen Curry had 23 points, including five three-pointers to reach 3,000 for his career, but it wasn't enough as the Warriors fell to the Nuggets 89-86. Curry, who became the first player in NBA history to reach the mark, also tied his own NBA record with a three-pointer in 157 straight games. Nikola Jokic had 22 points and 18 rebounds for the Nuggets in the win. And Pro Football Hall of Fame coach and broadcaster John Madden died unexpectedly Tuesday morning, that according to the NFL. No cause was immediately given. 
Madden gained fame as a Hall of Fame coach of the Raiders with his 759 winning percentage, still the best amongst NFL coaches with more than 100 games. But Madden's popularity extended far beyond that from being the preeminent NFL broadcaster for more than three decades to becoming the face of EA Sports Madden NFL football, the wildly popular video game that hooked so many onto the sport. John Madden, the Hall of Fame coach turned broadcaster, passed away Tuesday morning at the age of 85. I have never worked a day in my life. I went from player to coach to a broadcaster, and I am the luckiest guy in the world. As we continue here on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, Phil Yates and Harry Douglas hanging out with you, and we are pleased to be joined now on the Dr. Pepper Hotline by a perhaps one of the most, well, it certainly is the one of the most preeminent voices in the NFL media, a man who is a great storyteller and had the fortune of spending time with John Madden during his incredible life. He's Peter King from NBC Sports, who really needs no introduction. Peter, good morning to you. And when we learned this news about John Madden's passing last night, what were some of the immediate thoughts that came to your mind as you recalled some of the memories that you shared with John? Field, I think uh, the most significant thing is that when John Madden retired with 32 losses in 10 years, uh, he had an incredible life in on the football sidelines. Uh, he then went on to do two things that were more notable than being a football coach. He's a Hall of Fame football coach, and then he followed that by being probably the best broadcaster of games of all time and he followed that also by uh, putting a seven billion dollar video game on the market he didn't do it personally he lent his name and voice and support to it Uh, and not only did he uh, do all those things but I believe that he just really broadened the NFL's fan base. And by that, I mean, I believe that, that, you know, as, as my wife said uh, the other day that he's uh, he made her love football and his voice, his, the way he did games, the common person attitude was just something that every broadcaster now, every color analyst, Chris Collinsworth, Tony Romo, they all want to be, the guy sitting next to you in the restaurant, at the bar, whatever, showing you, telling you about the game, translating it for you. And so he was a man, a great football coach, who then did two things even better than being a football coach. Peter, if you had to pinpoint one or two things, um, that was the common denominator for John Madden to be so great as a coach and a broadcaster. What would those one or two things be? I think, Harry, that uh, the 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 thing that everybody knew about Madden is that he was absolutely sincere. He was a rumpled old guy. Uh, you know, by the time he became really famous in the booth, but he didn't seem old. He he didn't seem like he was in his fifties and sixties and. And, you know, and ended in his 70s. He, he seemed like he was so full of life and having so much fun. He loved his job. Uh, and I think the other thing would be that uh, not only that he was real, but he totally understood 
how to uh, how to how to how to educate people about this game that is so hard to understand. Harry, you've been in meeting rooms forever, and you understand that most of what is said in the media or by fans is not maliciously wrong or anything like that, but it just isn't. Uh, it it isn't backboned by an education about the game, and Madden did that, and he made it easy for people to understand the game. Peter, you mentioned that some people know John Madden as a video game tycoon. That may be the most familiar part of his life to many. You think about his broadcasting career. He had such a unique flavor and way in which he approached his craft. How do you think you would describe it to those that maybe didn't have the chance to grow up watching John with his variety of partners, including the great Pat Summerall, perhaps the most iconic duo in football broadcasting history? Field, I'll explain that and I'll answer that by talking about a trip I took with uh, John in 1980. I took a bus across the country from his home in Pleasanton, California, in the Bay Area to uh, the Dakota apartment building where he was a neighbor of Yoko Ono in Manhattan. (laughs) And on that trip, the essence of Madden came across. And it's the same essence that he had on television. And the essence essentially is this. He's curious and he cares and he really wants to do a great job. I watched him watching tape on that bus on an old VHS tape of the Cowboys and Giants preparing for a game that week. And he'd watch tape until 2.30 in the morning and just talk football and say, wow, look at Emmett Smith, look at this. It wasn't, it, it, field, it wasn't anything that seemed uh, like work. As he said in the clip leading into this, he never worked a day in his life. This was fun. Who wouldn't want to drive on a Hyatt suite on on wheels across the country, eating what what you want and wearing whatever you want and watching tape of football, which you love? And and everything that he did, when you listen to him do a game, you know, circling Troy Aikman's uh, ratty beard one (laughs) week uh, when he was on the sidelines. He once circled me. And George Toma on the sidelines of a of a soppy, wet, rainy game at Candlestick Park when I was interviewing him for Sports Illustrated, and it, it just it, he just he had fun. He made football fun, and I think that was his signature. Peter King, the great, incredible columnist for NBC Sports, and a man who certainly knows the history of the game so incredibly well. We so appreciate you joining us here this morning, Peter, to share some of your memories of John Madden, whose legacy will certainly live on in infamy for all football fans and, frankly, people that extend way beyond football. Thanks, Field. Have a great day. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. The Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max podcast. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max is brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Try the $45 Silver Unlimited plan from Straight Talk Wireless. With nationwide 5G on America's best network, Straight Talk Wireless, no contract, no compromise. See terms and conditions at straighttalk.com. 5G-capable device required. Actual availability, coverage, and speed may vary. Wednesday, December 29th, and Field Yates and longtime NFL wide receiver Harry Douglas filling in for the guys here. And, Harry, we got a situation. It's a familiar one. A big one. The Jaguars are looking for a new head coach. It's been a while. Uh-oh. been a whole year. <laughs> Phil, stop it. Sorry. Stop it right now. The Jaguars are once again doing something they did just a year ago. And... I want to talk about something that's taking place right now amongst fans of the Jaguars on Twitter, as many of them have changed their avatar to a clown to sort of put the public pressure on Shad Khan, their owner, as they are frustrated with news that current GM Trent Balky is expected to remain in that post, at least for right now. Balky was promoted to the full-time general manager last year after Urban Meyer was hired, And this is somebody who has been an NFL general manager before. He was with the 49ers during their run in which Jim Harbaugh was the head coach. It seems like there's a lot of frustration, Harry. But here's what I want to talk about with the, like, we'll see whether that stuff, whether the clown avatars amount to anything or not is one thing. But, Harry, this is not the first time the Jaguars have endured a head coaching search recently. And the easy narrative that you always hear is the Jaguars got to hire the right man for the job. Yeah. Harry, what the heck does that mean? Because I'm sick of hearing they have to hire the right man for the job. Because you know what usually happens is after somebody gets hired, we spend a month talking about how he was the right man for the job. And then guys get fired within two years and we're back (laughs) at square one. So let's cut through the nonsense. Let's cut through the agendas. And what is it that the Jaguars actually need to find in a head coach? And are there any people that you believe, not what everybody else believes, but that you believe fit what they are looking for right now? Um, Number one, I think they need to find an offensive guy. And simply because of the fact that you drafted Trevor Lawrence number one overall and you want to see him grow, right? You want to see him progress uh, and potentially being what you drafted him to be at the number one position. Um, Secondly, when you think about a head coach and and you want to – and bringing in the phrase, bringing in the right guy – he has to be a leader of men, right? He has to be a leader of men. He has to be trustworthy. He has to be a guy that's honest. He has to be a guy that the players respect. Notice I said players respect, feel, and trust. Because I'll tell you this, playing in this league for 10 years and being in a lot of locker rooms, even when I was in college as well, if players don't trust a coach, he's fighting an uphill battle. He's up Poop Creek without a paddle, basically. Mm. That's how I'm going to put it. 
So he doesn't stand a chance, and I believe that's what happened with Urban Meyer as well. Nobody in that organization, player-wise, I believe, trusted him. I don't even know if Trevor Lawrence trusted him. And you see, you can see the just the, the exhaustion on Trevor Lawrence's face when he had to talk about the issues over and over again when it came to Urban Meyer. But you want a guy who's trustworthy, uh, honest, you can trust, a guy who knows the game of football inside and out, and a guy who's personable, um, I'm not saying he has to be a player's coach 1,000%, but he can be a player's coach to a certain degree, right? Uh, a guy that players can go to about any and every situation uh, when, it, when it comes to this game we call life. That's the kind of guy that they need, a guy who's going to hold everyone accountable. Notice I said everyone, include him himself. It's another thing that transpired within the last year with Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer didn't, didn't, didn't hold himself accountable. Um, there are certain standards uh, when it comes to being a head coach and certain guidelines that I feel like you should follow. That's what the Jacksonville Jaguars need. They need an offensive guy. They need a guy with those qualities, a guy who's going to be able to get these guys to follow him, right? You have to be a leader of men. Mm. So when you talk about guys who fit that build and fit that category, number one, I think about Eric Bieniemy. When you think about um, the tree that he's under, he's under Andy Reid, right? He's a guy that, that's been in the head coaching talks Numerous of years, but but hasn't landed a gig. Why not? It blows my mind. I don't understand. But I think he'll be a good guy. Uh, a few coaches, uh, I would say, uh, a, a guy who I don't think had, had an opportunity. He's not an offensive coach. He's a defensive coach. But Joe Witt Jr., he's a, he's, a, he's a secondaries coach for the Dallas Cowboys. Joe Witt Jr. has been around for a long time, and he is a damn good coach. I understand he's a defensive guy. I'm just, I'm just throwing out some coaches. Byron Leftwich. A guy who played the game at a high level, not just in at the college level, but at the NFL level. The guy he's uh, he's he's an offensive coordinator for right now, Bruce Arians. He played for with the Pittsburgh Steelers, so he's been around the game of football. He's been around a lot of guys. He's been around Big Ben. He's been around Tom Brady. I think it's time for him to have an opportunity to have a role and be a head coach. And then you look at Jim Caldwell. I don't, I don't even understand why Jim Caldwell doesn't even have a damn head coaching job, mm. period, right now. I really don't understand it. So those are three guys that I would name uh, that should get an opportunity when it comes to um, coaching Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max is presented by Progressive Insurance. It's Field Yates and Harry Douglas hanging out with you this morning. And, Harry, one thing that I think is important, I think all those names that you brought up are ex- excellent potential candidates for a head coaching gig, whether it's in Jacksonville or otherwise. I'm going to be less specific about the names, more specific about the process. Shad Khan's owned the Jaguars for about a decade now. And one thing that I feel like is evident is he was new to sports ownership or NFL ownership when he took over, which is the case for many owners. And sometimes what you have is new owners who are relying upon people that they find as confidants, or sometimes what happens is they rely upon what they hear publicly in the media. People like us that are talking about certain people, Mm -hmm. right? And a lot of times what happens is the sports media kind of puts together the same list over and over and over again, right? Eric Bianami and I think Byron Leftwich are on a lot of those lists, but Joe Witt Jr. is an example of somebody that I don't think is on a ton of lists. Like I think that's a thoughtful suggestion. Somebody like Joe Witt, right? What I want Shad Khan to do is whatever the lists are publicly, those are reasonable starting points, all right? Because a lot of those names do end up having some great merit to them. But I also want him to take on this responsibility and not worry about what everybody else is saying or thinking. Do what you believe is best and right and the perfect fit for your franchise going forward. 
Just one example here, and I, I understand that Aaron Rodgers is the is the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, but a few years ago, after the Packers fired Mike McCarthy, they were the first team to make their coaching hire. I believe there were eight openings that year, and they ended up hiring Matt LaFleur, and Matt had just come off of a season with the Titans in which they were like dead last in offense, yep. and everybody was like, how can you hire Matt LaFleur, an offensive coordinator, after a terrible year on offense? They saw something. They saw the right fit. They were not good the three years prior to that with Aaron Rodgers as their starting quarterback. They've been excellent since then. I'm using that as a blueprint to how I want the Jaguars to worry less about public perception and worry more about what the team needs and who is tailor-made to fill those needs because clearly what they have done recently has not worked out in Jacksonville area. Phil, I agree with you 100%, and I, and I don't believe that Jacksonville Jaguars hire Urban Meyer because that's truly who they wanted. I think the public, the public perception, a lot of people who probably wanted Urban Meyer as their head coach, but I, I thought the flags were there um, to, to not hire him as your head coach, and I thought it was a lot more qualified people uh, that, that is coaching the National Football League who deserve the opportunity to get that role versus Urban Meyer coming from the college ranks in retirement. So you're right, man. I think you have to go with your intuition and your feeling and what you think the organization needs because I don't know how many more times Jacksonville has to mess up. But they, I, don't, I think it's slim to none. We shall see how things unfold there. At least Trevor Lawrence is still there. The good news is Harry will tell us whether yeah. he prefers Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson going forward. Coming up, the NFL lost a legend. And the ESPN family lost a father and a husband and great colleague. Thanks for listening to Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Check the guys out live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric e-bikes today, the number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two. Electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus! Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S dot com.